The following message is a teaching by Dr. Jason DeRoshi, Associate Professor of Old Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information about Jason can be found at deroshi-meyer.org. Today's lesson is a little bit raw. It's raw in that it's filled with feeling, emotion, real life. And I'm deeply encouraged that in our Bibles, we are given a book filled with a big God and real people. Real people like you and me that face trouble and pain and fear and anxiety, who encounter problems and hatred rises, and that God's big enough to take it. A God who recognizes the depth of loss and meets us in the midst of that need. A God who says, a God who doesn't spank us over our anxieties, but rather says, cast them upon me. An amazing God, who gives us an entire book, 150 chapter book, or 150 songs, that express the reality of lament and praise. Both of them. And we can meet those psalmists right where they're at. One of the amazing things about the Psalter is that it comes with very little historical detail. So the problem, be it suffering or direct enemy oppression, physical enemies, they're just called enemies. I'm bound up in the sea. The torrents of the abyss are covering me. The seaweed is entangling my neck. And we don't have exactly clarity on what the exact problem of the psalmist was. And that's how it's supposed to be. These are supposed to be prayers, songs that can be sung by anyone at any time who's able to identify with the trouble. And recognize that we have one who has been tempted in every way we have been. Tempted to doubt. Tempted to fear. Tempted to anxiety. And yet without sin. One who went before us and is conquered in every way. One in whom we can trust. He's called the Anointed One, the Messiah in the Psalter. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Psalms. And we're going to look at the raw emotion, the raw words of the psalmist today. And as we do, I just ask that you would pray with me one more time. Father, there are real needs in here, real reasons to praise and real reasons to cry, real reasons to give thanks, and you the ultimate reason to trust And I ask that as we look at these raw words, that you would help us gain deep encouragement that you're a God who doesn't run from such emotion. A God who created it in order that we might pour it all on you. Pour our praise in your direction. Pour our joy in your direction. But also pour our our tears in your direction. Pour our anxieties and our fears in your direction. And you pick them all up. And you receive them and you hold us right where we are. I ask that you would do that today. For the glory of your Son, who died to make such care possible. Amen. 
So here's the overall outline of the Psalter. I took out my detailed analysis and just put this one back up. Walking with the Messiah, waiting with the Messiah, worshiping on account of the Messiah. That's what frames this whole book. He goes before us in pain. He goes before us in pleasure for the joy set before Him. These songs become His songs. Jesus quoted from them more than any other book in the Old Testament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And He just links His arms with the psalmist in Psalm 22. David's words become the words of Christ. And because he had a God who met him in the midst of that God-forsaken journey, when we feel in a comparable situation, we can say the same words. Throughout the Psalms, we have different kinds of music. Music that is to a rhythm of praise and music that is to the rhythm of lament. You've got major tones and you've got minor tones. And the psalmists actually um, appeared to talk in certain ways. When they wanted to express deep anxiety and fear and emotion of um, angst, They would talk to God in certain ways. The laments would be dominated by um, the cry for help. The problem would be defined. And yet all the laments in the Psalms, except one, explicitly include a point of, of trust. Praise Psalms, on the other hand, they have their own different form, their own different elements. There's a whole host of different kinds of psalms. Here's some of them that have been identified by people. Lament psalms, penitential psalms, which is a subset of lament, imprecatory psalms. Who can define for me an imprecation? Anybody? A curse, that's right. So psalms where the the psalmist is is feeling deep rage in his soul. He's been so utterly wounded, so deeply hurt, and he cries out in hatred. Not to the person who's offended him, but to his God. What do we do with those psalms? Thanksgiving psalms. Praise psalms. Kingship of Yahweh psalms. You are king over all the earth. Subset of praise, Zion Psalms, Jerusalem becomes in focus. The center, the center of God's presence. Wisdom Psalms, Trust Psalms, Royal Psalms, Torah Psalms, and liturgies. Specifically set up for corporate worship. All different kinds. I want to introduce us to these genres of Psalms three of them. Can't touch on all of them, but the three most dominant in the Psalter. And they're three that we would very commonly go to. Have you ever been reading through the Psalms and all of a sudden it's like the words of the psalmist are mine. These, this is exactly where my heart was today. 
This is what I needed. Or you're like, where can I go? I'm feeling this way and I want to express myself. Where do I go? Well, on the back of our sheet here, I've included all the different categories and all the psalms that line up with those categories. So if you feel like you're needing to pray lament, go find one. If you're feeling like you need to just give an, an, an outward expression of praise, go find one. This is the messianic music designed to exalt in what the Messiah has secured for us. A God who is ever faithful and ever worthy. So all 150 are laid out there by type. And you might find that list useful in your own devotion and walk with the Lord. So, a lament. A cry for help. Thanksgiving. After that cry has been met, you express gratitude to God. And then you're just in these moments of exultation, of deep joy, and it, your, your joy isn't complete until you verbalize it and you express praise. These three different genres. Psalms of lament. I invite you to open up your Bible to Psalm 6. Psalms of lament... Not all the psalms include all the parts, but there seems to be a general pattern that if we just take all the laments out, where the, where the psalmist is feeling deep anxiety, deep fear, deep angst in his soul, we put all those angst psalms together, and there seems to be these, these repetitive features that continue to show up. So, psalms guys have gotten together and they've cataloged the structures, and I've remembered it by this little app trap. So those are just the parts, app trap. An address to God in first person. The petition that God would hear me in the midst of my pain. God, you, I, you, I need your help. I need your help. Come to me. The petition is made. The trouble is described. I'm in misery here. I'm in fear. The state of our state. What's going on inside my wife's abdomen? I need you. Here's the nature of my problem. And you just lay it out to God. Reason why He should answer. Because you're my Father. Because you've cared for me. Because you sent Jesus in order to crush these kinds of things. Because in overcoming it, it will magnify your greatness. Just because I need a dad right now. Because I don't feel like anybody's close to me. You give the reason why you're crying out for help. And God cares about those things. Over and over again, the psalmist laid out the reason. Assurance is declared. This I am certain. You are God and you are my God. Unchanging, unswerving. Every promise, yes. 
That's what I need right now. I need to hold on to that. And the psalmist would express confidence or trust that that's his God. And then it ends with praise. Praise. I praise you for you alone are God. Or a praise of promise. I will offer sacrifices to you when you answer. So let's look at one. Psalm 6. Psalm 6. To the choir master with stringed instruments. This is supposed to be sung in the community. The community needs this music because everyone in the community is going to be able to relate to it at one time or another. The room that we were just in was filled with a thousand people, probably half of whom could use the words of lament for one reason or another, consciously. They came into church with that kind of weight on their soul. Here's the psalmist. According to the Shimoneth, probably a tune, you write a poem, and it sounds like, row, 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 row your boat, and so you say, sing it according to that tune. Or a mighty fortress is our God. And every line of the poem lines up with what Luther actually gave originally, and then you can sing every all kinds of hymns together, even if you just know a few tunes. We'll sing it according to the Shemineth. Probably a dirge. A broken song filled with minor notes. We don't know what it is, but, but they did. A psalm of David. O Yahweh, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, because I am anguishing. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. This is, rebuke me. I'm calling out on my need and I'm talking to you, O God. And then the petition is given and the petition has a reason, a rationale that's attached to it. Note the whole series of petitions with rationale. Be gracious to me. That's the petition. Why? Because I'm I'm languishing. Heal me, O Yahweh, petition, because my bones are troubled. My soul is also greatly troubled, but you, O Yahweh. And then he just pauses. How long? It's like he was, he was ready to declare God's absolute steadfastness, and yet he just broke it, and his emotion just overtook him. God, how long? Petition, turn, O Yahweh, deliver me, save me, reason. And this is not based on my need, it's based on His character. For the sake of your steadfast love. Save me because I'm broken. Save me so that you might exalt your love before the eyes of all others. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give praise to you? This is about missions. Verse 5 is about missions. If all the believers were dead, where would the testimony of your steadfast love be? 
There needs to be believers who are preserved so that the testimony of your bigness, the testimony of your greatness, the testimony of your cancer-overcoming power might go public. And if I go to the grave, there's no one to give testimony of that kind of a God. And I'm asking to be among the living rather than among the dead. Verse 6, the trouble is described. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. I'm just weary, God. I had that weariness of tears when my wife and I went through a season of infertility. Then God gave us a baby in her womb and then the baby died. Weeping on my bed. I had that season of, of weeping on my bed night after night when I was pastoring. Four years, five years at the church, four years as a pastor in this church. And for two whole years, these people just remained so hard, so cold, so calloused, didn't have any sense that they needed a minister of discipleship. They even said, we're not sure why you're here. And Teresa and I just sat night after night, deeply crying out to God, asking Him, can we go? This is so hard. And crying that God would do something in their hearts because we didn't want to stay. They weren't lovable people. And God, by His mercy, wouldn't let us go. And after two years, He transformed this church. Something happened. Somebody died. Somebody died who had massive power. God took her home and her husband lost all fuel and within a month the church had transformed its entire character. It's amazing. I wanted to run and God wanted me to stay so that I would see how much he loved his people. He wouldn't let them go when I wanted to. Crying night after night. I cried this way through the midst of our adoption crisis. Losing Chernet the question of losing Ezra. Just weeping night after night. Can you, you can relate to that. Most of you can relate to that. When we're, when we're um, looking at applicants for BCS, uh, potential seminary students, this is an elder training program. People who feel they're called to be pastors of broken people. One of the things we're looking for is, have they experienced some level of suffering in their lives? How can you know you're ready to care for the broken when you yourself haven't experienced it at all? The psalmist knew what this was like. We know what it's like and we can find the psalm and say, God, this is where I'm at. The trouble is described. He cries out, depart from me, all you workers of evil, for Yahweh has heard the sound of my weeping. And then he just gives this declaration of assurance. The Lord has heard my plea. Do you believe He hears you when you pray? That deep-seated, yes, every promise is yes. What are you having to do? You're having to, I mean, He's not talking to us audibly. We're looking at His promises that say this is real. He isn't far from us. Just as I, as a father who at the core of me is so prone to evil, 
I just have this, this overflow in order to give good things to my children. Yesterday, I took Isaac. We spent three hours in the archery store, and we got his brand-new compound bow set up. Daddy took his credit card out, which we will pay for at the end of the month, and, and put it on this credit card. Why? Because I love this boy. And if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will our Father in heaven? He's not a God who gives a scorpion when we ask for bread. He really hears us. He really hears us. And the confidence, the the psalmist resting in that confidence says, Oh, the Lord has heard my plea. Believe it. He's expressing it in trust. Right now, his life doesn't look like it. He is in the mire. But he cries out, The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. It will happen. Call upon the elders of the church. Lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. Do we believe that? It's been purchased for us. Either the future will intrude into the present, and right now, right here, that healing will come as a testimony to all in this age, or it will come in the next, but it will come in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. All evil will be put down. All cancer will be destroyed. Every relational tension will be completed. We put our hope in that, and in the midst of our pain, we say, Oh God, I will trust in you. All my enemies will be put down, whatever it may be. This is in our Bible. We need this. This is the Old Covenant enjoyed. Remember, the Old Covenant is established in the law. It's enforced in the prophets. It's enjoyed in the writings. This is the voice of those who are living apart from the kingdom come, longing for the new David to rise, to establish everything, sitting in the midst of exile. These are the voices of those who need help, who need hope. And it's giving clarity to those who find themselves in comparable positions. What does it look like for people to put their hope in the kingdom of God? It doesn't mean that you will have a perfect life. It means that in the midst of the pain, you know where to call. And then it shows us, it models for us, legitimate moaning, legitimate lament. And I'm encouraged that that's in our Bible, because that's our real life. Number two, thanksgiving. Turn with me to Psalm 30. Brother Scott. Uh, that, that is a massively important question. And this is where I think the Psalms become tools for us. I would argue that the psalmist is modeling, is not only, these are not just descriptions of how they were expressing, but actually models of what is legitimate. So I'm going to push. When we get, I'm going to go... Uh, lament psalms, thanksgiving psalms, praise psalms, and then we're going to step back and just consider the emotion of the psalms, and we're going to start by looking at imprecatory psalms that are declaring hatred toward other people. And how do we fit that into a Christian framework? And I'm going to try to do that. Thanksgiving. So we're in Psalm 30. Thanksgiving is something that arises in response to deliverance. 
So in the midst of it, you're lamenting or you're declaring trust. But when God brings you out of it, it's an opportunity to respond. Something building off a text that was already that Steve read already this morning. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Just listen to how it's worded. We do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. Paul's been ministering for 20 years since the road to Damascus. How many of you have been saved for 20 years in here? Okay. Some of you haven't been. Now this Paul, at 20 years of salvation, since he met Jesus under the road to Damascus, he's already written Galatians. He's already written the Thessalonian letters. He's already written the book of Romans. He's most likely already written 1 Corinthians. And he says, I don't want you to be unaware of the affliction we underwent in Asia. And then he continues, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. He's 20 years into his walk with God, and he is so despairing, he thought his life was over. He de- Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And then he says God was in charge of it all. God was in charge of his almost coming to the point of death. We thought that we had the sentence of death upon ourselves, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Absolute sovereignty. I don't want you to be unaware of it, that God is working in suffering. I want you to know what God had to almost do. I'm 20 years a Christian, 20 years of walking with God, celebrating the coming of Jesus, and after 20 years, I still had so much self-reliance in my soul that God almost had to kill me to get it out, to get me to the point of really trusting in Him. I don't want you to be unaware of it. I'm Paul. This happened to me. And then he doesn't stop there. Where does he go next? He says, God delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You must also help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So one reason that God moves us into suffering is so that we might become more dependent on our God. Another reason that God moves us into suffering is so that we can call many people to pray for us so that when He pulls us out of it, God gets all the more glory. Because it wasn't localized of praise just in our soul. But we fill this board with our needs in order that when the answers come, all of us can exalt in His greatness. And He's all the more magnified. Thanksgiving. Suffering moves to thanksgiving because we have a God who moves us through pain unto deliverance, salvation through judgment. That's the pattern of Scripture. Thanksgiving. Psalm 30. So the last one was Aptat. This one is Imart. Introduction. Introduction of praise. I will praise you, O God. The misery or the trouble is reported. What did God bring you out of? An appeal for others to praise God. Will you join me in singing this, this uh, a testimony of, of God's greatness? 
The rescue is announced. I called upon him. He has answered. Look, here I am. Here I stand. Here's the provision. Here's the protection. Here's what it looks like. The rescue has happened. Join me in giving gratitude to our God. And then a testimony of vow or of praise. Now the last one, this is going back to where we were. In Psalm 6, aptat, it wasn't in that exact order, but all the elements were there except one. Which one wasn't there? Aptrap. The praise right here. The reason was there, the rationale right here. But it was the praise or the promise of sacrifice. If you look at the lament in Psalm 3, the praise is the very last verse. But, but it, all the parts weren't part of Psalm 6. But now, the psalm of thanksgiving in Psalm 30, all the parts are there and they're all in that exact order. So let's walk through and see it in Psalm 30. A psalm of David, a song of dedication of the temple. So God has moved His presence from location to location and now has established Himself in Jerusalem. And the tabernacling presence of God is there in Jerusalem. And David is celebrating it. We begin. I will extol you, O Yahweh. Introduction of praise specifically addressed to God. I will praise you. I will lift you up, O God. For you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. The rescue is given here, but well, the, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. That was the misery. Sorry. The misery is clarified. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help. You've healed me. O Lord, you've brought up my soul from Sheol. I thought I was in the grave. I'm no longer there. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Verse 4, an appeal for others to praise God. Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name. Why? For His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Once again, missions, worship, in order to produce, uh, to call people to Him in this tangible sphere. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. Then verse 11. The rescue is announced. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. And then we end with this testimony of praise. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Even as I'm teaching here, I'm thinking... I was sitting there today saying, should I share this prayer request or not? And then I didn't. And now I'm feeling like I should have. 
My wife and I put our house on the market this week. We need someone to buy it. Our little bubble has been getting uh, stretched with our eight bodies. May God let it happen. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Where does it fall? Misery reported. Yes. And, uh, and I'll, I'll say, I will give thanks to you forever when it happens. The Seagulls' home, too, went up, on, went up for sale the same day, so they've already moved from Ohio. May God let those happen. Thanksgiving is something that we should do as a body tangibly linking ourselves to request and answer and saying thanks be to God. We've, if you've been in the class for very long, you've, you've seen requests up here. I think of Todd Peterson, like I don't know how long it was, six months, nine months, whatever it was, without a job, pleading with God and then the Lord answering and all of us being able to just stand in awe of God's mercy. Hallelujah. What a Savior. I showed this last week. This image, five books in the Psalter. And if you just tally how many laments there are versus how many praise psalms there are, there's a much higher level of lament at the beginning of the Psalter and a much higher level of praise at the end. We move from the mire to celebration if you're just working your way through the hymn book. And so, even if you don't have this list handy, you can be thinking, okay, where am I at? What do I need to pray? And if you're in the lament stage, you'll probably find it in the first half of the book more readily. And if you're in the praise stage, you'll find it toward the end more readily. So, 19 laments in book 1, 13 praises at the end, 7 laments in book 2, no praises at all in book 3. Nine praises in book four. Everything's moving around. Let's look at the praise. SRS. A summons to praise. A reason for praise. And then a summons restated for praise. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 117. It's the shortest psalm in Scripture. Psalm 117. The summons to praise is made. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. That's just wild right off the bat. You have the psalmist unleashing this call that relates not to just Israel, but to the world. It's like he sees himself participating in what Israel was created to do, to be the blessing through whom the nations would be drawn back to their Redeemer. Their only hope, their only help, calling the Gentiles, so nations in the Old Testament is the word for Gentiles in the New. All the nations texts could have been translated Gentiles like they are in the New Testament. Almost all of them say Gentiles, but it's the exact same word. So, praise the Lord, all Gentiles, extol Him, all peoples. That's the summons. Then you get... The reason, for great is His steadfast love. Yahweh, Yahweh, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Exodus 34. 
Great is His steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of Yahweh, it endures forever. So let's praise Him. The psalmist ends it one more time. Praise the Lord. Summons, reason, summons. SRS. Those are the three main kind of psalms that you'll find. And we can put ourselves right in the midst of it. Now what this does is lays out, these three psalms lay out a spectrum of emotion. And you'll feel these emotions at the high negative end or at the high positive end. So you've got rage and anger in the curse imprecatory psalms. You've, then, then it moves to fear and sorrow and lament psalms. Faith amidst danger in psalms of trust. Peace. All is well where God is. Wisdom psalms. Gratitude in thanksgiving psalms. And just straight out worship in the psalms of praise. And again, this is our life. Sometimes our minute. Right? All is well, and then all is super bad. My own home this morning experienced pretty much all that. (laughs) And I had to ask forgiveness for this in particular on the way here. It's great when you're doing the corporate prayer, you know, and, and you really botch it when you walk out the door. I'm sure that you can't relate. (laughs) So here is Scott's question. And some scholars, in seeing the hatred expressed in the Psalms, the anxiety, the deep-seated anxiety pointed toward another person, have thought, no, this, this isn't love. Can you love someone and hate someone at the same time? God does. It's very scary to say, love the sinner and hate the sin. When we know that it's the sinner who will ultimately be thrown into hell under God's wrath. And yet, that same God who hates the sinner and hates the sin, also loves the entire world in such a way that anyone, anyone, whoever, whosoever believes in me, shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's consider this emotion. Here's some samples of that emotion. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. They're coming after me, God. Please, put them to shame. Stop them. Halt them. Let death steal over them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see. Make their loins tremble continually. He's pleading with God. Are these prayers we can relate to? Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Don't ever forgive them. 
O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. That's raw. And that's hard. And maybe many of us in this room have never been wounded so deeply that that level of emotion rises. But I would bet that some in this room have felt it. And the question at hand is where do you go with that emotion? A few comments that I hope can help assess these words of rage. Real anger. Real, real hurt. Number one, these emotions are in response to real wrong. Not false injustice, but what God would truly call sin. These are real sins that have been done to the psalmist. And often they arise, we're told, in these imprecatory psalms after love has been attempted. Sometimes multiple times. Look at these verses. But I, when they were sick, they were sick, my enemy. My enemy was sick. When I... But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I'm praying for them. God, help them. So this rage is not step one. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. Yet... Even though I grieved over their pain, grieved over their loss, their response is deep hostility toward me. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So, they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. These are both psalms of imprecation. In these psalms, that that angst of soul rises up. God, don't acquit them. God, punish them. This isn't right, O God. How long? Number two, often the writers are explicitly concerned about God and His name. That's something that's also clear in these psalms. It's not just, they've hurt me, but your reputation is at stake. We don't see it in all the Psalms of imprecation, but these are tendencies that we see that show up a number of times. So they're explicitly concerned about God and His name, not just personal vindication. The psalmist even requests that God punish His enemies so that their hearts may be turned toward Him. God, you've got to stop this injustice. You've got to put an end to it. Crush it. Crush them. God, this relative is so hard. What he has done to this person is so bad. Put an end to it. Stop it. Crush them. Put them down. Break their heart. Whatever it takes for them to be turned to you, break them. Fill their faces with shame in order that they may seek your name, O Lord. 
Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace. Why? That they may know that you alone, that they may know that you alone, whose name is Yahweh, are the most high over all the earth. There's a tension going on there. Let them perish in disgrace. May they be dismayed forever that they may know that you are God. Do you ever talk that way? I think, I think, somewhat comparable to what Job says in chapter 6. Oh, I wish I would have never even been born. And the men said, are you questioning the sovereignty of God? And he says, guys, just back up. Do you know what words of wind are? I'm just expressing them. They're just coming out. Let them blow away. That there's a place for words of wind. And here, he's, he's wrestling in his soul. There's mixed up emotions going on. And all of us find ourselves there at times. Real harm that's been done to us. Sometimes when we've responded good to them, evil has come back tenfold. Concern for the name of God, not just personal vindication. This is a biggie in my, as I'm trying to put these together. Remember that these expressions of hatred are not being sung to an angry mob. Let's go kill them. No, no, not at all. It's God. These are, these are, uh, Prayer room prayers. These are in my own cubicle prayers. Emotions expressed in prayer, not in a call to arms or to an angry mob. Anger cast toward God and not people is the first step toward healing and love of neighbor. I want to propose that. In the same way that there are different levels of grief over loss, and one of the early stages is anger. When you've been wounded so deeply, one of the first stages to get to love is being able to express to God what's really going on in your soul and how you really feel. And that's why I think these are psalms that in certain contexts can indeed be avenues to help us express what's going on inside as a means to arriving at a certain lifestyle that we all know in both the Old and the New Covenant was called for. Love your enemy. How does that look? Psalm 69 is an imprecatory psalm. The reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. So the psalmist says, pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. I'm deeply wounded. The reproaches of those who reproach you. Notice what's at stake. Your enemies are against me. Do you care about that? Do you care about your name? I'm standing for you, and in confronting me, they're confronting you. Add to them punishment. May they have no acquittal. Now, the reason I go to this psalm is because Paul is going to quote from it in Romans 15. He's going to quote verse 9. And he doesn't take psalms out of context. So let's see what he says. 
Paul cites this psalm in Romans 15, stressing both its importance for Christians and how it serves to move us toward love. So let's just see what he does. For Christ did not please himself. Christ did not please himself. Rather, rather than exploiting his kingness, he was willing to humble himself and receive the mocking and the burdens of men. Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And right in the midst of this psalm of imprecation, this is what happened, and the psalmist cries out, Judge them, O God! And Paul immediately says this, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. All the Old Testament matters, including the imprecation psalms. It was written for our instruction so that through endurance, I'm in the midst of weight. All my enemies are coming upon me. What do I do? I don't turn on them in anger. I turn to my God in rage, crying out for Him to act for my sake. He cares about me and for the sake of His name. For our instruction, so that through endurance, what do we do in the midst of the storm? We're crying out to God all the while, trusting that He really cares, that He really hears, that He knows my pain. And we gain endurance. That through endurance and through the encouragement of Scriptures, we might have hope. Hope in a God who cares about my pain and promises that He will act. This is how the imprecation psalms matter, I think, to us. is because it's not only the raw emotion that we can at times feel toward an enemy, but it's it's confidence to us that it's in our Bible. God cares about our pain, our deepest pain, and He will not let it stand or linger, but He will intrude into space and time, and He will act and crush it. He will. So what does it say? For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction so that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement, building off the imprecatory psalm, we're pleading with Him to have justice. May this God, in light of the hope that He sets before us, the promises that He will act, may this God grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. This sounds so strange. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where do we get fuel to love even those that are sitting next to us that we don't like? Paul earlier said it this way, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. For, here's the promise that's supposed to motivate this action. What you hope for tomorrow will change the kind of person you are today. What you hope for tomorrow will change the kind of person you are today. How do we gain fuel to love our enemy? We cry out to God, even in anger even in hatred, and pass it over to Him and trust that He will work in His own time. And then we leave it in His hands. The fuel for me to love and give good when evil is done to me, to not avenge myself, is this. For vengeance is mine, I will repay. 
trusting in the promise of God that He will repay every evil done to me. And then I gain endurance. I gain hope. I can read the imprecatory Psalms and say, I can identify with that anger, God. I'm asking you, judge Him. Judge Him. Don't acquit Him. If you are a good God, you will be a good judge. I know hell exists because you're a good judge. So bring judgment on this person. And then this day, I mean, all the while this is being said, Leviticus is always there. Me not dying and a substitute dying in my place. The wrath of God will come. It will not just be passed by. His wrath will be appeased either at the future judgment day or at the cross. We can be certain of it. All the fires of God pouring down on the Son of God on behalf of those who believe. Embodying in Himself corporate solidarity. Just as all of us are identified with Adam's sin, everyone who believes is identified with Jesus. So the psalmist of the imprecatory psalms declaring, don't acquit them, punish the guilty. It ultimately is, if you have a sinner in your life who so brutally wounded you and you're struggling to love him, you have two options. You celebrate when he comes or she comes to know the Lord, or you're like Jonah who hates, who runs. What does he say to God in chapter 4? I knew, I knew that you were a God of steadfast love. That's why I ran to Tarshish. Because I knew when I told the Ninevites that you would forgive them, they would repent. And then they wouldn't get your justice. But it's not that they didn't get the justice. It's that the Son of God would take it on their behalf. That's how the Psalms of imprecation work. Paul said in Romans 15, Jesus stood taking all of this offense upon himself in order that you and I might be empowered to love But it doesn't happen overnight. It happens by progressive healing and allowing ourselves to be enraptured with all that God has done for us and deep confidence that one of the promises that is yes in Christ is that justice will be done. Cancer will be conquered. Enemies will be destroyed. And in that we gain hope. I have more in here. But I didn't, think, I didn't think I'd get past that, so I just gave you that much. Yes. Yes, Darlene. That's, that's a very helpful question. How do we distinguish our rage? Is anger at God or anger at the enemy? And I think that is a disposition of the heart that is so important to make imprecation prayers justified. Every time we pray, we pray out of a disposition of dependence. Certainly, there is the cry of Habakkuk, How long, O Lord? How long do I have to sit in the midst of this mess? But notice, even in his heart, the whole, the, the whole book clarifies that his disposition it didn't, even, if, even if there was tension in his soul in the beginning, at the end of the book he's saying, whatever comes, if the cows stop giving birth, if all the crops get destroyed, this is where I'm at. I will rejoice in the Lord and trust in Him to be my strength forever. 
the heart of someone who's been so deeply wounded. I've had so many of those very girls in my office. So many boys so angry at their fathers for introducing them to pornography at age seven. Dads doing that. And the entire boy's mind has just been so twisted by already at 18 a decade of horrid abuse. Girls who've just been so broken. And where we want as a counselor is to help them express their anger, but let it not be anger at God but rather to see Him as the only hope and as the only help. Not as a God who's impotent. Not as a God who is small. Indeed, if we we create a dualism, there is evil and there is good, and they are eternally equal in power. Rather, we have to say, I don't understand why God allowed this to happen, but He has always been on the throne. He is still on the throne. And because of that, He alone is my hope. He alone can be my help. So, to be honest from our hearts and give it over to God and yet to do so with a disposition of dependence. Not of hostility, but of dependence. Let the prayer truly be a prayer of help, of hurt overflowing and you alone are my answer. In you I trust. Let me pray and then I'll, I'll, I can help that because our time is up. Lord, I thank you that you're a God with broad enough shoulders to carry it all. And I thank you that you are faithful to your promises to judge the wicked. Hear our cries. Nurture endurance and hope as we use your Bible the way it was supposed to be used. For the glory of the Messiah, in whom every promise is yes. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the ministry of Dr. Jason DeRoshi, Associate Professor of Old Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Jason DeRoshi. For more information on Bethlehem College and Seminary, we invite you to visit online at bcsmn.org. For more information on Dr. DeRoshi, visit online at deroshi-meyer.org. Proclaiming the kingdom and treasuring a God who rules, saves, and satisfies through covenant for His glory in Christ.